Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I don't want to scare you guys, but look at this look. So we're no longer in that gulag of a room where I've been doing the podcast. Oh, it looks like I've been in some kind of Turkish prison. It's oh, not no. pretty. There's a picture of my dog in the background. That's all I brought with me. You know, we're kind of not in our house right now. So right, right. I'm, I'm improv Right. You should know you're an improv I, yeah, I am. I like where you are. This is lovely. Yeah, it's lovely. And now I get to sit with you. This is an intimate Hi. version of just getting started. And I'm so happy you came. I also kind of made you come. And I feel like I kind of, this is the best part of having friends who do amazing things because I, I did. I said, I said, hey, Ange, um, after we go for our hike on Friday. We literally went for a hike. Like, and we showed up in the same. Oh, my God. You're very bendy. I'm not yeah. as bendy. <laughs> Just oh. a lot. Oh. Taller. Um, anyway, we have the same leggings on, yeah. apparently. So we look ridiculous. Mm-hmm. But that's part of the fun of asking a friend to do something like this. Because we could walk. Mm-hmm. I could give you a delightful, refreshing water. With I introduced her to the whole idea of putting fruit in your water because you drink more water. I, if you I know. I know. You, I know there's fruit <laughs> in water. You didn't, you didn't introduce me to that. She said... Would you like a kumquat in your water? A delightful kumquat. A delightful kumquat. And I said, I've never had a kumquat in my water. I've had other fruit. (laughs) I have been on at least one vacation (laughs) where someone put a cucumber in my water. You have lived. I have lived a little bit. I also want to share with you guys, Mm. this is something that people in the business know, and it's so ridiculous. We went to sit down, and Angel said, this is not my side. Now, I only (laughs) interview... From this side, especially when you're Jewish and you're in sports broadcasts, like, you know, I'm used to to working with all of these, you know, it was always when I was at Fox Sports, it was always like the Playboy Playmate models and me. And so you learn how to work your angles, right? Then you realize how old you are when you're like, eh, I don't care. Well, here's the thing, guys. You have to look amazing. No, I don't. I don't. I'm a comedian. I don't really. But I will say this. I was telling Susie. Um, we were chit-chatting as they were setting up cameras and stuff, which, by the way, I didn't know I was on camera today. I know. And then she just looks like this. It's so irritating. No, you stop it. I quickly went in the bathroom and was like, oh, boom, okay. <laughs> um, but on The Office, we were a few years into the show, and someone brought up, oh, do, you know, which is your good side? And I said, oh, I don't think that's a thing. Is that a thing? And our camera operator, Matt Sohn, who I love, was like, Oh yeah, it's a thing. And I was like, really, Matt? Do 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 I do I have a side? He goes, yeah. And I was like, what? Why didn't you tell me years ago? But he was like, no, no, no. I I try to frame you. I guess this is my side. I don't know, guys. You don't realize you have a side. It's like a Seinfeld episode where you're like, what do you mean my side? My side, yeah. What you don't realize is that one side is more. I don't know. Aquiline. You know what, I, what, you know what you? I heard is you go with your part. But what what happens when you don't have a part? Yeah, that's a great question. I don't know. So we are solving the Hi. world. Hi, world's how problems. are you? How are you doing? The Just Getting Started audience is thinking, what did I just tune into? But I honestly think, you know what's so much more fun when you can actually have a conversation that doesn't feel like an interview? Because 
look, that's all I do for a living is interview people. And, you know, mm-hmm. you go into these interviews, you've thought of ahead what you want to talk about. You have mm-hmm. an idea. And it always feels like an interview. And my goal on this is to make it feel more like a conversation. And I feel like it has to be with you just because we have such a level of comfort. Right. And I wanted to be able to bring you to our audience because obviously, I will tell you this. The funniest thing about meeting Angela for the first time in kindergarten is because you were so easily recognizable. Oh, yeah. Our kids were in kindergarten. Yeah. And so I'm also very chatty. Well, where did that come from? Is that from growing up in, in, in the South? Is that, is that a know, Texas I, thing? I grew up in Indonesia. That's right. Before yeah. you came back. That's right. Yeah. So I don't know. I traveled a lot as a kid. We moved around for my dad's job. So I sort of like always was the new kid. So I... You know, as the new kid, you got to make friends. So I got chatty, I guess. Did you feel early on that comedy was a way of connecting with people? Were you funny from a young age? (laughs) Well, we should probably dial one of my sisters. They would probably have something interesting to say. Um, My mom tells the story that she was asking my sisters and I what we wanted to be when we grew up. And I said, I was four years old and I said, Carol Burnett. My dad had showed me the Carol Burnett show and I was mesmerized. And I, I don't know, I said Carol Burnett and that's all I've ever wanted to do my whole life. When did you get a sense that you could actually turn this into a lifestyle? Because the whole point of just getting started, as I mentioned to you, was I feel like coming out of this dark couple of years, people need inspiration and they need to feel that God, if she could do it, maybe I could do it too. So what I'm trying to do is just hone that place where somebody had either a sliding doors moment, you know, the Gwyneth Paltrow with the good haircut. Oh, yeah, movie, yeah, yeah. I remember that one. Where you just know that if you didn't go in that door, your life could have gone in a totally separate direction. And to find that place where somebody found the courage to become who they wanted to be. So that's why I want to know, at what point did you figure out, even on early on in life, that... This is my, this is a direction I want to go in. You know, I have to give my mom like a lot of credit here. I know there's always nature nurture, right? What was you and what was nurtured to be you? And my, I have three older sisters. I'm the youngest of four girls. And my mom always said to us, why not you? We'd talk about things we might want to do and she'd be like, do it. Why not you? Why not? And things felt sometimes big and too far away. And how will we ever get there? You know, no one in my family is in entertainment. Um, My dad was a drilling engineer. My mom was a stay-at-home mom. My sisters are a nurse, a school teacher, and one worked for the local telephone company for years. And people don't go to Hollywood in my family. They don't go to try and be an actor or write or direct or any of those things. So it felt very far away. But my mom would say, why not you? And I think that just sunk in. Why not me? Just go do it. Give it a shot. And that started at an early age in me to try out for things and do things. Because why not? But how did you do it? I mean, how did you go from growing up in Indonesia with this wonderful mom who supported you to getting to Los Angeles? What was the genesis? Oh, my gosh. This is like... What is your life? Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) What is your whole life? Okay. I will make you cry at some point. (laughs) Buckle in. I'll try to give a short answer here. Um, It's all I ever wanted to do. That's really the simplest thing to say. Like, I always felt like 
I, I can't imagine my life if I don't do this. And so I was in every school play, every Christmas play at our church. You know, I first time I auditioned for the Christmas play, I was a sheep. And then I, I finally got to be Mary, which was pretty cool. I bet you sheeped the hell out of it. I did. Sheep. I, I yeah. sheeped the hell out of it. <laughs> and the costume, I'm, I'm sure, was amazing. Um, and I just kept at it. I did every school play. And then when I got to college, I really also had a love for writing. I loved writing my own material. And I would, you know, try it out. And sometimes it went well and sometimes it didn't. And I knew I wanted to go to New York. I, I became very specific. And I think there are two things that helped me in life. One, I knew what I wanted to do early. I wasn't searching. I wasn't trying to figure it out along the way. I knew. So then I had this pinpoint, like, I don't know, path, right? And then the other thing is, is that I, I just created everything I could around that one idea. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And um, I got more and more specific. So like sort of like God is in the details, you know. So then I was like, not only do I want to perform and write my own material and create characters for myself, but I love comedy and that's where I feel at home. So I wanted to go on a late night talk show and I wanted to see how people come up with their opening monologues and bits and sketches so I applied for an internship on Conan O'Brien out of college, like a postgraduate internship through my school. And um, I didn't know anyone. And a lot of those internships, you know someone. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I uh, <laughs> I wrote a letter and sent in my, I, I called this general number that was like, hello, you've reached NBC Rockefeller Center for an internship program, press one, right? I press one, I got an address. I wrote a letter, nothing, crickets. And then you could leave a message. So then I just started leaving a message. I'd be like, hi, my name is Angela Kinsey. I'd like to apply for an internship um, on Saturday Night Live or Conan O'Brien. If someone could call me back, no one called me back. It's a miracle. <laughs> no one called me back. And, and um, one day I called and you would get the main switchboard, right? And so she would direct you, right? She would always transfer you. So you would get this woman who would answer. I think they used to know the main number at NBC. Back oh, my day. gosh. Okay. So one day after like two months, I called and the woman was like, NBC Rockefeller Center. And I was like, yes, I'm looking to apply for an internship. And she was like, I'll connect you. I just, instead of saying what I usually said, I said, um, I was just disconnected. I was talking to someone about my intern program. I just lied. I love it. And she was like, oh, do you mean Nancy? And I was like, yes, Nancy. I was talking to Nancy. And she was like, I'll transfer you. And I, I ended up leaving a message for this woman, Nancy, who didn't call me back. And then I would call back and say, hey, I was just talking to Nancy. And then this, this, this woman was covering Nancy's desk. Nancy was out of town. And she said, oh, Nancy's out of town. And I said, yeah, I was just talking about my internship program. And she said, oh, well, let me let me pass you through to Diane, whoever Diane was, Diane. whatever, whatever her name was. And Diane goes, how did you get this number? And I said, I've been calling for two months. No one returned my calls. I lied. I lied for three days saying I was talking to Nancy. And then somehow Nancy went on vacation. And now I have you. And this was like on a Friday. And she said, can you be here Monday? Oh, God, I love it. 
And I hung up the phone and I said, mom, dad, I have to go to New York. And they were like, what? And I was like, I have to go. I have to go for this internship. I have to go. And my mom and dad were like, well, let's just wait a second here. Wait a second now. And they knew I'd been calling and calling. And I was like, I have to go. Mm-hmm. And I had I'd gotten a little bit of money for graduating. You know, I had some money saved up. And I was uh, lifeguarding and teaching swim lessons. <laughs> it was the summer. And I said, listen, I'm going to go. So if you'd like to go with me, mom, I'd love that because my dad couldn't because of work. And I said, but I'm going and I'm going to meet with Diane on Monday at 10 a.m. at Rockefeller Center. And my mom was like, oh, let's go. Wow. And we got plane tickets and we went. And I know I'm very fortunate that I had the parents I have and the support that I had that I could do that. And we went and I interviewed and she said, listen, I have two general internships available. One is um, on the news desk and one is on Conan O'Brien. And I was like, I'll do Conan O'Brien. And I was so excited. And um, I was just a general intern. When I got there, all I did was get people coffee and, you know, things like that. And even to go, my parents were so apprehensive about it. And um, I sold my car and I used the money to from my car to go live there. And I subletted, I found a friend of a friend and lived in the worst apartment ever by Lincoln Tunnel in Hell's Kitchen. My apartment faced the red light on, on the third floor. My whole bedroom would turn red, oh, yellow, green, because I faced the red light. Um, and I started my internship and, and I knew nothing and I was so fish out of water, but I was so excited. Like I felt like I'm, I'm doing it, you know, I'm one step closer. And I wasn't even performing at that time. I just wanted to be around other people creative who were performing. And after a few weeks of getting people coffee, they said, we have an internship. I wanted to get down in the studio. And there's only two. One's a writer's assistant and one was Max Weinberg's assistant. And the writer's assistant was taken. That was a coveted one because you got to be in the writer's room with Conan and all the writers but they said, we have an internship available for Max Weinberg. Would you like to do that? I said, yes. And they said, what's your experience in music? I was like, I love music. Exactly. I love oh my gosh, people. this is horrible. I knew nothing. Um, and I, I sort of faked it till I made it. And I was made it. And I was Max Weinberg's intern. But I got to be in the studio when Conan and the writers did all of their, you know, skits and, and his opening monologue and him and Andy and It was such a full circle life moment years later when I was on the office and I was a guest on Conan and I went back, you know, and was a guest at 30 Rock where I had interned, where I would take people to their dressing rooms and get them water. And so what was that like? Walk me through that. That was just surreal. That was just and everybody there I still knew. They're like, Angela's here, you know, and. Jimmy Vivino, the head of his band, all those guys were so nice. And it was it was amazing. And um, I feel so fortunate that I was able to have that moment because I know a lot of a lot of times in my life I've tried for something and I've never fully realized that, you know, I've written five shows. None of them have gone. I've never had something I've written go, you know, so I 
I know that there are disappointments, but you can't let that stop you. How did you go from that internship, especially with Max? And I still want to know what you did for Max besides maybe like, I mean, call a piano tuner. I'm not sure what else one does. Oh, well, I can break down my day for you. Oh, God. And, you know, um, the funny thing is, is that I was an assistant the same time walking those underground tunnels at NBC. We were there at the same time. Walking those underground tunnels. Uh, to go get coffee for people, I got people's glasses fixed. Oh, I picked yeah. up dry cleaning. Dry cleaning, that's a mm-hmm. big thing. Pick, pick up people's laundry. But people. I loved I loved a coffee run because I would just go for like hours. Because they oh. didn't really care if I was gone or not. I would just go for hours. You want me to get your glasses on 3rd Avenue? Absolutely. I would just go and walk <laughs> around and just... Kill time because that's what you're doing as an intern half the time. Yeah, you're you're just a runner is what you are. Um, for Max in the morning, first thing, he liked to watch the dailies from the day before. He had a camera mounted under his symbol mm-hmm. and he wanted to see that camera shot. So my job was to go way down into the belly of 30 Rock where all the editors are. Why do the editors always, why are they always in the darkest rooms? Because they're the darkest people. <laughs> they're just the, oh, and they're delightful, just, but dark. They have to, I guess, just watch stuff over and over. Anyway, but I would go way down and get his dailies and make sure they were on his desk, right where he liked them. So when he got there, the first thing I would hear in the morning when Max walked in was, Boom, like that's it. You just fast forward. That's a really good version of that. Thank you. My fast forward (laughs) and rewind. Um, So, and then I would get, if he wanted, you know, anything to eat, I would just sit outside his office. There was like a little chair desk area. And and, um, he had an official, official assist. Sorry. He had an official, official assistant. And I was the intern's. For sure. the assistant for him. Which can mean ugly things, which can be if you get the wrong person, it can be. Yes. And like, I had the best person. Her name, her name is Debbie Wonder. She's still in the business. She was so lovely to me. We're still in contact. Um, and she was always just a little worried for me. She was like, Angela, you need to go out this weekend. I had no money. I was like, I can't go out. I can't. I can't buy an adult beverage. They're like $12, you know? So I didn't do much. And she was always trying to get me out and get me a little bit more social. What took you to the next step? I I would watch Conan do his opening bits and I would watch the writers. And I was like, okay, I've watched for a year now and see what plays, what doesn't play. See whose egos get in the way, you know? So, like I would sort of watch people pitch jokes and... Um, I just wanted to do it and I, I really wanted to be on TV, on camera. And I'd been studying at HB Studios um, in New York, which was a fantastic place. And I was doing all this scene study work, but I wanted to be on television. And I was studying with Carol Rosenfeld, who was like Uta Hagen's protege. And I was like, Carol, I want to be on TV. And she was like, no, no. She was like, don't do it. You know, she was very much a stage actor. Um, And I put, oh my God, this is really going to date me. You guys, there was no internet. Holy crap, I'm a dinosaur. I put up, ready for this, a postcard on the bulletin board Mm -hmm, at 30 mm -hmm, Rock mm -hmm. where you could say, you know, kittens for adoption or I have a Datsun I'm trying to sell. You put it up on a board. Yeah, I remember those days. I, my, I, my sublet was coming up. I said, I'm going to California. Would anyone like to come with me? I put my 
phone number. What in the world? I could have gotten such a crazy pants. In this day and age, that's the setting for a horror film. I know. I know. Like Jennifer 8 meets, you know, the, the Ch- Texas oh, Chainsaw Massacre. I know. It's so crazy. And um, this other intern named Julie was like, I'd like to go to California. I said, great. Um, and she said, I have a car I can, we can take. And I was like, great. And I said, can we drive from, she lived in New Jersey. Can we drive from New Jersey to, um, Texas? And then I'm going to get a car and then we'll drive. We'll follow each other the rest of the way. We went to triple a, we got our trip guide. You know, it was like, oh, a, sure, sure. You guys, it was like a small notebook that you could flip the pages of your, your journey. Yeah, there's no ways. There's no yeah, navigation. Yeah. Forget it. Her car was like, I don't know what it was. It was some kind of Buick or something. I don't know, maybe an Impala. Anyway, something in that family. And um, we had a radio. We didn't have mixtapes or anything. We had a radio and we drove from literally we left Lincoln Tunnel. Bye bye, New York. Everything I owned in a suitcase. Drove to Tennessee, where her brother lived. Had a had a scary couple hours in West Virginia. Um, love you, love you, love you, West Virginia. Yeah, but yeah. It, it was three a.m. Um, at a. We stopped to get gas, and um, Julie was like, "Where's your coffee?" And the woman was like, "We don't put it out anymore because that woman kept throwing it on people." We we're like, "Okay, bye," and load up and scene back in the car. Um, but anyway, we stopped in Tennessee and then we ended up in Texas. I got my car and then I drove. We had, you guys, we got walkie talkies as long as we stayed within three miles of each that's other. That's amazing. And that's how I got to LA. Let's talk O'Reilly Auto Parts people, or as you might know from their jingle, O-O-O O'Reilly Auto Parts. They're in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offers friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs because you know when you need your car fixed, you need somebody who knows what they're talking about and is helpful, has a smile on their face, and gets you back on the road. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. The team at O'Reilly Auto Parts can test your battery for free in or out of your car. If it needs to be replaced, they'll help you just... Find the right battery for your vehicle. Need your windshield wipers replaced, a brake light fix, or a quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. Whether you're a car aficionado or an auto novice, you will find the employees at O'Reilly Auto Parts knowledgeable, helpful, and the best of all, friendly. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash Eisen. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash Eisen. What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the the behind-the-scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. And so what was your introduction? So you've now come off of two successful internships. You were smart enough to know to write. And that is the one thing that I would always say that, especially like for my life, I was able to cut through all the small market syndrome because I could write. Because so many people are so in love with the camera that they forget that writing is a huge part of it. 
Right. And the fact that you could write for yourself put you in a different place. Yeah, I think it did, especially for comedy, mm -hmm. you know. Um, so I get to L.A. and I get a job at a restaurant like everybody else. That could give me flexible hours. And I started doing getting up on stage anywhere I could, any comedy club I could, um, improv, The Groundlings, IOS. And then I had a friend who was working at 1-800-DENTIST and said that <laughs> that the hours were really flexible plus you had health insurance oh and you know i'm very yeah. i'm very pragmatic yeah. i'm like oh i would like health insurance i should probably have a dental cleaning so i <laughs> went to work at 1-800-DENTIST and i was an operator 1-800-DENTIST this is angela do you need a checkup and cleaning today or do you have a specific dental problem fantastic yeah it'll be with me the rest of my life you're making me want to get my teeth cleaned we, probably, we both probably should <laughs> i mean that's the one thing that lapsed during the pandemic we all should go get our appointments guys mammograms you whatnots um but yeah so i worked at 1-800-DENTIST and i worked at comedy clubs and i got up on stage anytime i could doing improv i wrote a one-woman show a friend of a friend's manager saw it, signed me. Then I started art. Then I started art. Um, sorry. Then I started auditioning for commercials. I had a string of national commercials, which was really fun. I mean, some real winners. Um, do, you, do you remember the Lay's Wow potato chips? They they gave people anal with leakage the with the Alestra. Yes. with the Alestra. Yeah, they had, yeah, yeah, yeah. They gave people anal leakage. Um, I did a commercial for that. I, I took a bite of a chip and I went, wow. Yeah. Yeah. And then you went for the bathroom. Yeah. And uh, I had, I was in a Buick commercial with Tiger Woods where uh, we were all trying to like be like Tiger. And I had to take a sip from my water bottle and go, I didn't have my A game today. Oh, God. That, who wrote that? <laughs> that's just, that's brutal. I know. So I did a bunch of that for a while. And then what happened that took you to the office calling? I mean... I had done little parts at that point, little co-stars here and there, three lines, four lines, still working at 1-800-DENTIST. And I also started working nights at um, a theater school. And um, I auditioned for this improv pilot. I started, I think, you know, you start to get known with casting directors who can improv. So I was going out for all the improv pilots because I wasn't famous enough to be on like the network radar, NBC, ABC, like they didn't know me. But in the improv world, people knew me. And, um, you know, at the time I was married to Warren Lieberstein and who's father of my child. Isabel. Lovely guy. Lovely. And we're on great terms and I'm so thankful for that. And um, he and I were doing like improv and stuff and his sister and her husband would come and watch and they were so supportive and they still are. And Greg... Um, had this show that he was going to adapt from the BBC called The Office. And we were like, we loved the BBC version. So we we're like, oh, no, oh, no. But, you know, we knew if anyone could do it, Greg could do it. And um, and we talk about this. Jen and I have this book coming out called The Office BFFs. And we really talk about how Greg was putting together a group of people who were just unknowns, you know, Steve had only done a little bit. Rain had had six feet under, but the rest of us, no one knew who we mm -hmm. were. And for once that worked for us, you know? Well, yeah, because I think what was so great about it, and then I'll shut up and let you finish, was that so often with actors, and I felt this way about Rain in the beginning because I'd love six feet under, and mm -hmm. he was so creepy yeah. to the nth degree in that, that you'd say, oh, that's the guy from six feet under. 
Yeah. You guys became those characters. Mm-hmm. Go back to what you were saying because I just... No, I, I auditioned just like everybody else and I... I auditioned for the role of Pam. I sort of have famously told the story that they thought I was a little too feisty for Pam, but they liked me. And then I thought, well, that's that. And I booked this other show. I was going to be doing a pilot for the Oxygen Network where I was going to be playing um, like a receptionist at a salon. They flew me out first class to New York. It was so exciting. And it didn't go. And so... I was like, well, now what do I do? And I was like, you know, I'll lean into writing again. I'll go back to that. And then I got a call that they were filling out the rest of the office, the rest of the bullpen. And they called me back in for the uptight accountant. And how did it feel to you at first? Because that Angela is such a radically different version of you. Yeah. I mean, it was really fun to be a character. I really like it. I am not confrontational in real life. I am... You know, I think being Southern and I just usually lead with, oh, I'm sorry, <laughs> you know, but um, it was really fun to play the bitch. It was something so different. You ha- That must have been your sliding doors moment if that other pilot had booked. Yes. It's like the Craig Bierko famous story about not wanting to be, you know, the Matthew Perry character on Friends. Oh, my gosh. And about how different his life would have been had he. Yeah. And how different Matthew's life would have been had he right. not been Chandler Bing. Can you imagine in any wild nightmare of an episode in which you pass up the office? Yeah. Well, if that pilot had gone, I would have been locked in, right? Mm-hmm. It was called Salon Royale. Wow. I would be on Salon Royale and not the office. Yeah. How, what was the experience like in the beginning? Just the first episode, the first season, when you guys aren't the office yet, you're just shooting a pilot called The Office. Now The Office is popular vernacular. I mean, you can't go anywhere with you without people saying, oh my God, I love you. Take a selfie with me. Can you please record a message? What have you? Go back to that beginning of what that was like. Did you, people always say, oh my God, did you know how special it was going to be? And people say, yes, I just knew from the beginning. Did you? You know, I really felt like we had something special when we were filming Diversity Day. Um, We were all in this conference room and it was really small, not a very big room. And we had um, note cards taped to our foreheads. Um, Mine said Jamaica. Jenna said, um, what did Jenna say again? Oh my gosh, I'm blanking. No, that's just. <laughs> but anyway, just, we, just had menopause. These, we had these ridiculous taped to our forehead. Wait, Lou, do you know? <laughs> Lou just popped on. Jewish. Yes, Jenna had God Jewish. Bless Lou. Lou, you're the best. <laughs> Jenna had Jewish. I had Jamaica. And, you know, one of the things that worked so well about The Office was the moments played out in reactions. It was all of us reacting to Michael. And it was this really cool um, sort of comedic patience, you know? You weren't rushing for the joke. You just let things play. And when we were in that conference room, just looking at him and having these scenes, I was like, this is this is a pretty cool thing. This could be really big. This could be amazing. If people just take a chance on it. I know it's a different pace and a different look and feel of like the other television shows that were on at the time. We were single camera and we weren't like three jokes a page kind of writing. 
And um, and to think that BJ Novak wrote that episode, I think he was like 25 when he wrote it. Just amazing. But that that's the moment it felt to me like I was like, this could be really cool. But we went off into the world. We shot six episodes. That was our first season, just six episodes. And um, they had, you know, our little nameplate on our trailer door. I it was Velcroed on. I ripped mine off, took it home with me. I still have it. And I just thought that's it. We're, we'll probably not come back. It didn't seem like they were really confident in us, the network. And then we got, I think we got a second season and we got like nine more. And it was the Yankee Swap Christmas episode where all of a sudden <clears throat> that aired and we were the number one downloaded show on iTunes. And that's when everything changed. That's when we were like, oh, wait, I think we're going to have a job for a bit. Did it feel, what was it like? Let me take you back to actually being there. And I know that all of you listening to this have already listened to a million ones of the the Office Ladies podcast, because I love that you go into the specifics of different episodes and you make it feel so intimate, like you're a part of the crew. What is it like? Is it, how much of this is improv? How much of this is scripted? How open were they to you going in your own direction? Well, it was 100% written. Like we had the best writers, like truly the most amazing writing room. Um, And we would have opportunities sometimes to ad lib a line or two, but truly what you're watching was, was scripted, but it was written so well. And I think our characters were so defined and we knew our characters so well that moments felt spontaneous that were absolutely written. Um, we were just watching the uh, Sabre episode and Dwight greets um, Gabe with a tray of hot dogs. And then he's looking for a place to set them down awkwardly in the background, this whole tray of hot dogs. And he just sets them on the floor. And I was like, did Rain improvise that? That looks like an improv. And I went to the script written in wow. the, the stage direction. And we did have some improv moments for sure. I feel like a lot of times in our talking heads, we had an opportunity to improvise because that moment wasn't affecting like other characters' lines and reactions. And I feel like we had opportunities at the top and the bottom of a scene. Every once in a while, I would get an improv line in. Um, I think one, one episode, Angela's really grumpy and I improvised the line and Kevin had Greek food again today. You know, like that just ruined her day. So every once in a while, we did get to do that. But what you're seeing was written. And it's so crisp and it's so clean. And I think it set the table for so many copycat shows to come because it really was a very specific sense of humor. And it's so funny because like a modern show like Curb Your Enthusiasm, that's all improv. It's very specific. It appeals to a specific audience. Why do you think The Office appealed so broadly? I think it's because it's relatable in the fact that whether you're on a school campus, because, you know, a lot of kids in middle school watch this show. They come up to me, eighth graders, you know, with Dunder Mifflin shirts. Oh, yeah. Xander's totally into it right now. Yeah, it's it's really wild. It's um, it's really huge in middle school. Yeah. Um, but whether you're in your homeroom classroom or your office workspace, you probably know a Dwight, right? There's probably an Angela that drives you crazy. And we all have a boss that can be ridiculous. And I think those those kind of relationships and dynamics exist, whether you work at a hospital or you're an airline pilot or you're in eighth grade and you have this class with someone who drives you crazy. I think it's the relationships. How much of Angela 
was you, Angela. What what were your favorite parts about playing her? You already talked about how she's very tight and very feisty. Mm-hmm. But what was your favorite part of her? Oh, you know, I just loved how put out she was with, with everybody. It just would crack me up. Like just someone saying good morning, she'd be like, oh, <laughs> And that's just so fun to play someone who just is instantly annoyed for no reason. Um, I just loved that. You know, I loved our accounting nook. We were like our own little family within the big office family. Oscar was kind of Angela's work husband and they would bicker, but ultimately they cared for each other. And and then I've always said that Kevin was kind of like our idiot son. (laughs) I'm sure he really feels good about that, too, even though he's a fake character. But I think that's the part. I think that's the kind of interesting part about it was that you guys played characters of your own names. So it was very confusing and synonymous for many people. People ask me this a lot. Why did you have your own name? So here are the characters that had their own name. Angela, um, Oscar, Creed. Um, I think years later, Clark. That's really his name, Creed? Creed Bratton. Oh, well, okay. Yeah, Creed. Amazing musician. The grassroots, guys. Creed is like, Creed's the coolest. Um, And I asked Greg, like, why do we have our own names? And we were new characters that weren't in the BBC version. And he was just like, oh, yeah, just kind of were like, yeah, okay, we'll just use their names. So I'm like, maybe it just came out of laziness. Isn't it so crazy? It's crazy. I feel like... I saw Norm McDonald interviewed one time and they were like, why are you always playing Norm? And he goes, and of course his delivery, you know, so spot on. on. I guess he did a show where they gave him a different name and he kept forgetting to answer to the name. And they were like, oh, we'll just call you Norm. (laughs) It's bad. But by the way, you're going to make your call and you're going to actually make your lines if you don't have to worry about another name as well. Right. I suppose that makes, takes a little bit of the guessing game. Yeah. Did you meet Jenna at the office? Yes, we met on the pilot. Yeah. And um, we sort of say that we became best friends truly in the basketball episode because we had to sit next to each other on a bench and watch the guys play basketball all day. And in between takes, we just sort of told our life stories to one another. And and that was it. We were like, okay, I didn't expect to make that good of a friend later in life. And it was so eye-opening for me that you should never like close yourself off to like friendships and people just because you think, oh, you know, I'm in my 30s or 40s or 50s or whatever, that there's still people that can be so impactful that you didn't think would be in your life. What about the part of you guys continually being in the scene? See, to me, I, I thought that was super interesting that it's a single camera shoot. Mm-hmm. And it can be Jim and Pam, what have you, but you're still in it. We're in it. You're we're still in all it. in it all the time. We were everyone's background. I'll tell you what, it definitely left no room for egos because I might be having a scene, you know, with Oscar and in the background are John and Rain, Steve, Jenna, Phyllis, Leslie. You know what I mean? Like it we were all there for each other. It sort of felt like group, like one act play, like sort of that group theater kind of mindset of like, we're only going to make our day if we're all here for each other. I think what's so interesting as well is how different you guys are. People get confused sometimes about separating the actors from who they are on screen. I mean, Steve Carell seems, he's almost shy in person and Mm -hmm. he's so gregarious. 
mm-hmm. as, uh, as as Michael. Right. What were the surprises for you as you got to know these different characters and different people on the set? Well, Steve is just such a lovely like person, and he's a family man. Gregarious was the word. You know, yeah. I, I confused D.D. Gregorius. This is my sports <laughs> nightmare with Gregarious. So I had to correct myself. I, 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 myself, I heard it, that but then sound, I, I was like, eh, just, yeah. why did that sound wrong? And I was like, oh, God, D.D. Gregorius with Gregarious. Okay, we're back. And we're back. Um, Steve is a family man, and he he just delights in his life as a dad. And that was my favorite thing is on Monday to sort of like download with him about the weekend. I'll never forget one time he walked up to Jenna and I and goes, guys, I Nancy and I found the best target. Oh, my gosh. Like, you got to go with your kids. It's like it's kind of a drive, but like there's a carousel like it's in a mall. <laughs> like the kids will love it. I was like, I love that Steve just told me about this great target he found. Am I wrong or is Nancy Carell the funniest person on the planet? She's hilarious. Yeah, you know, she's a mass hole. So we have a relationship. They're both from Massachusetts. Exactly. Yeah. We have a relationship because we like to out Massachusetts each other yeah. in like photographs. And like, well, she'll post something and I'm like, I had that rugby shirt when I went to Great Woods in 1985 for a Bon Jovi concert. And she's like, oh, no, no, no. I had. She's like, don't even. She's like, I had a wicked pair of chinos, and I'm like, yes, I did too. I think she's hysterical. I no, she's so funny. I mean, she was on SNL, mm-hmm. and she's she's hilarious, and they're just a wonderful couple. But those are the sort of the surprises that you know, Steve is nothing like Michael, obviously, and and then you know, I feel like Rain is kind of close to Dwight. Right. <laughs> There's some overlap there, and um, but. I think because we were all in that bullpen together, we also just got to know each other more. We would have some episodes that took place the whole episode in the conference room. We would get loopy. Like we were in one tiny room, like starting, we would start rolling cameras at 7.30 in the morning and we would be there till like five o'clock, six o'clock in that room. I mean, people overshared, people made up songs, people got loopy, things got punchy and I think as a result, as a cast, we'll always be close. We have a text thread. Where you we still te- do? Yeah, I'll show so it to you. So who's on it? Oh, my gosh. Everybody's on it. And what are those texts like for people anything who are getting a Anything and everything. Anything and everything. My favorite is at Christmas time, Creed will make a little video of himself. Like he put on an elf hat, <laughs> sang a little tune, and he like just texts it all to us. I'm like, hey, Creed. And, Merry yeah. Christmas. I was going to say, what's the reaction to that? Oh, everybody is just like, Merry Christmas. Love you guys. Merry Christmas. So you guys are still close. I we are. I mean, we our lives have been pulled in a million mm-hmm. different directions with careers and life and family and moving. But we still check in. We still show up for one another. I, there's obviously some that folks I talk to more just because of life, kids and proximity. Um, but we're all very much still there for one another if anyone needs anything. What was it like for you emotionally when you realized that you would become this number one show on television, this phenomenon, for the person who sold her car to get to New York, who called and called and lied and called, and I lied to get my first job. So I know. Right with I you. will say uh, just a little fib, y'all. It's a little bit of a oh, fib. I, f- I fully lied. <laughs> no, 100%. it's a lie. It was a total lie. Yeah, but sometimes you have to just... You have to struggle to get there. You got to well, figure out how the hell am I going to break through? You have to hustle, you guys. That's the truth. Like it's a hustle, 
And you can't be afraid of the hustle. It's just part of it. You were going to stop while I was in mid-drink, right? Just to see. I was. I don't know what you edit and what so, you don't. We like, don't. We, you don't edit anything? No. Lou, Lou makes it look pretty. Lou, Lou you're you not going to cut out when I, was like, when I was like, had a gurgle and was like, excuse me, let Lou, me do that. Lou, you cut that out, please? You cut out the gurgle? Thanks, Cut out Lou. the gurgle and maybe the D.D. Gregorius, Gregorius, oh, whatever. So, but when you did realize that this kid who sold her car, who mm -hmm. asked her mom to go there to New York to meet Diane... And then suddenly you're you're on the number one show and people are stopping you. What was that like for you emotionally? I mean, there's just an element when it's happening in the beginning that it just doesn't feel real. You know, um, we weren't on people's radars for a long time, like the way we are now. The show is more popular now than it was when we were on it on NBC. Um, I had a kid at Target. <laughs> I love Target. I guess I'm going to keep She loves I Target, Target, by the way. I hope Target sponsors this podcast. By the way, Target, if yeah. you're listening, and I'm going to tag you on this, we have an idea. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> my shirt. I got my shirt at Target. She loves Target. I love Target. Anyway, um, this kid came up to me and said, oh, um, I love your show on Netflix. And I said, haters back off, because I had just done this show with Colleen Ballinger, who plays this character, Miranda Sings. I play her mom and um, the kid goes, no, The Office. I love your show on Netflix. Had no idea it was ever on NBC, you know. So what streaming did for The Office is just next level. It made us way more recognizable. We were in people's homes over and over and over again. There is no appointment television anymore. It's not like, oh, Thursday night, we have to be home so we can watch whatever. No, they just watch it over and over and over. I had one one guy, he's probably in his early 20s, told me he'd seen the show 17 times. Oh, my God. The whole thing? The whole thing, wow. start to finish. So that's like a next level, what streaming has done. And, of course, NBC has now, you know, bought it back from Netflix. I kind of feel like someone was like, oh, shiitake. Yeah. We uh, probably shouldn't have sold that to Netflix. So they Did bought it back. Shiitake? I said shiitake. Fantastic. Um, you know, for the youngins listening. Um, but now it's on Peacock and it's, I don't, I feel like it'll always be on. I feel like it's going to be, I love Lucy. No, it's crazy. It's on Peacock along with the Rich Eisen show daily from nine to 12. Hey, watch time. that just one. Saying, you like that promo I snuck in there? Yeah. Just because if I don't, he'll, he'll, he might, he might divorce me. But then again, I had a divorce attorney in our wedding party, so I'm set. But anyway, this is oversharing. Is, am I telling you guys too much? Uh, I, still go back to that whole idea where suddenly this kid who was an intern, because we all started somewhere, right? Yeah. That's my whole point with this. I lied to get my first job. I basically snuck past the guard at CBS to get my internship at CBS Sports. Yeah. My first on-air job was in Los Angeles. I told them that I had a lot of on-air experience. I'd shot my reel in the in the stadium across from Yankee Stadium and in Yankee Stadium, thanks to my old friend Rob Butcher, who used to be the PR guy for the Yankees. And I borrowed a camera and I lied. I said, You oh, hustle. Because it's hustle because no we one high gives five, it to you. We high five, guys. Yeah, we we did. For those listening, we high five. Because we're friends outside of that. But I love your podcast because you have found something special here that people love the office so much that they are going to sit there and just listen to the two of you tell these stories because it's two best friends sitting there 
And we're laying up, here come my dog. Oh my gosh, uh, hi doggies. Here comes up, there he goes. Oh wow, wow, oh my gosh, there goes the camera. There goes the camera, all right. Ladies, oh, calm down. There goes the microphone. <laughs> it's just, I got two big goldens, guys. It's it's amazing. They're so cute. Right, Dylan, come here. Oh my gosh, these dogs are so cute. Can you get down, please, or go outside or something oh like gosh. that? Oh yeah. Anyway, um, go lay down. Down. Good girl. So, <laughs> Dylan, Dylan, the backdrop is going to be. <laughs> it sounds like we're in the valley. So, I mean, there's a lot of interesting stuff shot in the valley. Yeah. Go get a cookie. That's another podcast. <laughs> and, by that, and by that, I don't mean you go get a cookie. That's neither here nor there. Um, How did you guys come up with the idea of doing the Office Ladies podcast? So, I'm so proud of our podcast because it's Jenna and I. We just love. We just hustled and we we wanted to have a job where we wouldn't miss soccer practice and we could be home for dinner. And these are very simple once, but we had been working long hours in television, often far from home. And we're, we felt like we were missing moments. And it's very hard. I think every parent struggles with career and family and balancing it all. Everybody can relate to that. But... Um, we were both talking about it and um, we had gotten together and just sort of decided to talk about the Halloween episode. And she brought her notes and I had my notes. We sat in my garage that I converted into sort of Your like, she shed? No, not my she shed. Oh. I didn't have my she shed yet. Okay. Um, we sat in our garage that we'd sort of made into like a workspace. I put my iPhone between the two of us. I hit record and we talked about the Halloween episode. And she brought her notes and I brought my stuff. And then Josh, my husband, is a really fantastic editor. And he put together a little sizzle for us. And he listened to it. And he was like, this this is, you guys have something here. This is like, it was fun to listen to you. And her husband listened to it and he felt the same. And um, she had a friend who had started a company called Earwolf. Mm-hmm. And we went and met with him and just sort of played him our sizzle. He just did it as a friend, like took time out to meet with us. And his exact words were, ladies, I think you have what we call the special sauce. Wow. And I was like, tell me more about the special sauce. I like special sauce. I like special sauce. And um, we decided to do this rewatch podcast and um, sort of be the architects of our own time as far as our work schedule. And then um, we have absolutely loved it. We have loved it. And we reach out to writers and actors on the show and directors, our camera operators, our props guy, like all of our crew, they've been amazing. And we learn all of this behind the scenes, like details that we can share. And of course, some of our life comes into it as well because we are best friends and you can't help but end up being chatty about that at some point. And we've written this book and I'm so proud of the book too. It took us three years to write it. Susie, three years. Well, so why long. Why did it take three years? Tell us about I don't the book. No, I mean, I think the book on the podcast, it is a true office rewatch. Every week we're going in, in order. We're watching the whole entire show, right? And we break down the show. But we had all of this memorabilia. We had all of these photos. We had both sort of been putting off cleaning out our sheds and our attics, garages, everywhere in your house where you stash stuff. And... I had been putting it off. Jen had been putting it off. And she was like, why don't we do it together? And that way we'll like force each other to be accountable. Like, hey, I got through seven boxes of crap today and I'm getting rid of 12 of my 32 baskets. Apparently Mm -hmm. I love baskets. You do love baskets. I love a basket, guys. Um, 
you should check out the baskets at Target. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> so I was anyway, going to go there. I know, I know, I know. Um, but anyway, so we had all of, between the two of us, thousands of photos. And we saved everything from like little ticket stubs to, I mean, the, the program from, you know, the Emmys to all these things. And we were like, what are we going to do with it? And we we're like, well, maybe we should make a scrapbook of it or something. And then... The photos made us think of all of these memories and stories that are more intimate, more personal about learning to navigate Hollywood and fame and be best friends and be moms and start a career. And the story starts on the office and but it is the journey of our best friendship over the years. And it's called The Office BFFs, you guys. You can uh, buy it now. You can pre-order it now wherever you buy books. And we also did an audiobook, and that was so much fun. And we got a bunch of the ca our cast members to do like special bonus content. And I, I just think, you know, if you're an office fan, you'll love it. But I think it's also a celebration of friendship. And I'm just so glad that my daughter, Isabel, is going to have this book that is sort of her mom's story about her career, but also highlights the power of having a best friend, having someone that always has your back and is always going to shoot, like shoot you straight and be there for you. Well, and that's the best part is that you met her in the beginning of it, that you yeah. guys built your friendship along with your friendship that you had congruently on camera and that you guys could grow past it. And I think the other thing to point out as you do this podcast and as you do this book is it's being inventive. It's, it's literally in this world saying, what do I have that's special and how can I make it work for me? Right. And that's exactly what you do with this book and with this podcast. And because The Office is such an incredible microcosm of the world, people want to get lost in it. And they can. And you can share it with your family. I'm having the best time watching that. We're watching The Office and we're watching Modern Family. Oh, so those, I mean, so I'm in heaven. So fun. I did not answer your question, though, about why it took so long to write it. I think it was a few things. One we had to figure out how to write a book together. Mm -hmm. Two very different styles, two very different personality types when it comes to work. Jenna has sort of like creative bursts early in the morning. I kind of have them more at night when the house is quiet and I'm, everyone's asleep and I'm alone. And um, so we had to figure out what was the narrative? How are we going to tell it? We decided to tell the book much how we just talk. So we go back and forth and um, it's like a dialogue. And then we had to sort through thousands of photos. Like they couldn't all How be in the book. All these photos, you kept them all? We are both pack scrapbookers, rats. pack rats, <laughs> hoarders. Rich is um, a total hoarder. So. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I totally am. And um, I had a lot of digital clutter. Like right now, I think my inbox for my email is like 2000. I know, Susie, I know it's horrible. It's I horrible. can't go to sleep unless it's totally empty. I know Jenna has less than 10 every day. Mm -hmm. I have like over 2000 and I was proud that I got that down. Oh, but God. so I would find journal entries and emails and we had photos. So then it was like picking, well, what stories do we share? What photos do we share? I think there's almost 400 photos that are our personal photos. Some of the pictures from the pilot no one's ever seen before. NBC didn't send any photographers to the show for, for a bit. You know yeah. what I mean? I think it wasn't till like season two or maybe, I don't know, a few episodes in, but there was no, no one there for the pilot. So we have some really unique, special photos. And, um, and then we started writing it as we were building the podcast, which was like starting a whole business. 
And then the pandemic happened. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden we were like Zoom schooling. I'll tell you what you don't want from me is me teaching you um, math, any kind of advanced math. I'm just, I, what? I haven't done one of those like fraction problems with the train going a certain speed and doubling back and then making it an hour later. What? But anyway, all of a sudden, you know, three kids Zoom schooling. Jenna has two kids. Between the two of us, we had five kids at home all day. It was really hard to work from home, as I'm sure a lot of people have dealt with as well. Yeah, because there's one of the three that always needs you. Always. And then they need you, and then the other one needs you, but you're not with that one because you're with the other one because you love that one more. And I would say, no, it's because I can't do your work. I don't understand it. Oh, my gosh. And we, our school had this thing called Singapore math for five yes. minutes. Yes. And I was like, what is this? What is that? Fresh hell. And I would do the problem. And then Isabel would be like, no, mom, that's not how they're teaching us to do it. And I'm like, yeah. well, I don't know how else to get to the answer. But anyway, we could probably go on and on about it's, that. It's ugly. But um, Josh and I sort of divided up the subjects that we would help with. But it felt like every 20 minutes someone needed something. So it was really hard to get the book, just to create the space to sit down to write. Do you guys um, plan out ahead weekly on your podcast? Do you know what episode you're going to talk about? Oh, yeah. We're going in order. In order. So you know. So built-in content, which is great because we all know the order, right? Um, But it takes us about four or five days of prep. We really do our research. We try to peel back every layer we can about each episode and um, any interviews that maybe the director or writer did at the time. We text our cast. Our cast and crew have been amazing um, because we hit them up a lot. Um, Inevitably, there's questions. We have a website, officeladies.com. We have folders of questions and fans will inevitably send like a question that sends us down a rabbit hole that's really interesting, but we'll reach out to our props master or wardrobe designer, we just did an amazing breakdown of the costume, the Recyclops, when (laughs) Dwight is Recyclops. And we reached out to our um, costume designer, Alicia Raycraft, who shared with us all of her sketches. That's incredible. Yeah. And we have our Instagram, Office Ladies Pod, and I do all the posting for it. It's really a a two-gal job. And we have an amazing sound engineer um, at Earwolf, Sam, and Cassie, our producer. And we just, the four of us, crank this out every week. What's your favorite episode that you've done in terms of The Office? And then I want to ask you what your favorite podcast episode was. Oh, my gosh. That's so hard, Susie. I know. It's like asking me which one of your kids you like the best. I know. Um, you know, before we started the rewatch, I would probably have said I loved all the Christmas episodes because my character, the head of the party planning committee, was always like strung so tight and she would lose her shiitake a lot uh, during the Christmas episodes. So those were always fun. But in doing the rewatch, there's episodes that have just totally surprised me that like, even as early as like healthcare, you know, just a group of people trying to pick a healthcare plan. And I watched it and it was just so funny to me. And even now later in these years as, um, as Dunder Mifflin is going out of business and how the dynamics are changing. And we just watched manager and salesman with Kathy Bates, Mm -hmm. Kathy Mm -hmm. flipping Mm -hmm. Bates. So there's all of these episodes that are just um, sort of, I I feel like I'm seeing again for the first time because I haven't watched the show 
you know, in years. That was a long rambling answer to your question, but I, I guess just that I'm enjoying all of it, really. And then Dinner Party, my gosh. As yeah. far as like one of my favorite podcasts, Dinner Party was so fun to break down. And um, we've also had some great guests. We've had Greg Daniels came on and we did the Booze Cruise episode with him. Oh, it's the best. So great. And um, I just, uh, I don't know. I just am loving it. I, I have such an appreciation for the show in a way I didn't have when I was there working every day. Because now I'm an audience member and I'm seeing it differently. How did you change over the course of the years that you were on The Office? both as an actor and as a person? I mean, I think for myself, I've just gotten better at advocating for myself and I've gotten better with boundaries. Because in the beginning, obviously it's yes, 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 everything. Yes, 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 oh my God, yes. And now I'm like, let me let me see, let me think about it. Let me look at it. Make sure I wanna do it. Make sure it fits into my family. Um, so I've just, I think gotten a little bit more patient and I just have better boundaries. And how about as an actor? Did you feel like you changed? Did you learn things along the way that you could share that you may oh, have realized as you honed your skill? I mean, 100%. I mean, I feel like I got the golden ticket to the best comedy school. You know, I was watching Steve Carell every day. I was watching Steve and Rain. And Steve and John had great chemistry, too. And just all of the actors on our show had just such skills, you know, um, sports term guys. I always said we had a deep bench. Mm -hmm, Hi, mm -hmm, sports term. Mm -hmm. Hi, thank you. Um, I think what happened for me with my acting is that two things. One, I got more confidence in myself as the years went. And, and again, patience that I don't have to, um, speed up or sometimes with nerves, actors speed up or they get louder or they get more like, I don't know, grand, big, and I've just learned to appreciate the smaller performances. Yeah, because that's what makes, that's the nuance, right? Yeah. All right, I can't keep you here all day, and I would, Aww. because I'm having a lovely time. Oh, yeah, and I still oh, yeah. Give you we've lunch. been talking for like an hour. Hi. Oh, geez. Okay, oh, man, I think that's I my like, stomach And going. you have to go, and I'm going to give you lunch before okay. you go on to your next thing. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about... How to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford anything, wherever you listen. As we wrap up, this book is coming out. Mm -hmm. The Office BFFs is coming out May 17th. But you can pre-order it now. And I guess pre-order sales are a big deal because your publisher likes that. Yeah, and it, it puts you on the book charts very Yeah, fast. yeah. We want to be on the book charts, folks. So, And the audiobook is really great, too. And you can get it wherever you buy books. The last thing I want to say is that your audience is so invested in you guys. And really, they care for you. It's pretty amazing. I love to read the interaction if you post something. Mm -hmm. And I see the way they react to you. What's it like to develop that relationship with all these people and to know that your product is resonating? Oh, man. Well, I, I love people. Like, I love meeting new people. I love, I'll chat you up at the grocery store. I mean, I, I often chat people into um, 
flight. <laughs> like, like it's sort of a joke that I will talk a person until that awkward place where they're like, I just, I got to go. <laughs> like, it was nice <laughs> meeting you, lady. But wow, that um, Angela from the office really overshares. I'm just really chatty. I love to learn how people live and what they're doing. And um, I love meeting people on a plane. <laughs> oh, no. They're like, don't. You stay. do? Yes. I get so excited. I love to go back to like where the flight attendants are, the flight attendant galley and like chat them up. They always have the best stories. And do, what do they say to you? Are they like, I love you, Angela, and I love the office. Like, what's that What's that like? I mean, usually one of them, maybe I'll do a video for one of their kids or do a picture or something. But then we just talk about like, okay, so where'd your flight start? Florida, oh, are you going back there today? Or where? where's your hub? Like, I get so excited. Um, but I just like to know how people live. I find it so interesting. And um, so I like connecting with people, you know, on social and I love learning about them and I love like some someone might comment about a flower or something. I'm I'm just a mom guy, so I love to post like when I see a pretty flower and then someone will comment about it and then I go to their page and then I learn a little bit about them and then I'm like, "Oh my gosh, this lady really knows flowers." So it doesn't bother you when people come up to you? No, it doesn't. And you know, sometimes when we're with the kids, like definitely there's times where you're kind of you're rushing trying to get to the soccer game and you're carrying chairs and a cooler and you're dragging it through a field and you're like, oh crap, we've got 15 minutes and then the game starts. And I think, so sometimes I am I might say, hey, I just have to say a quick hello, you know, or, or I'll find you later or something like that. Because sometimes it's just the business of life, you know? Sure. And I think with our my kids, it's it can be a little bit harder and I'm more protective of them. But for me... The fame part and the fandom part of the office, that was price of admission a long time ago. I signed up for that. And I am a um, happy participant to be a part of it. Oh, that's beautiful. It's changed my life. The show's changed my life. The other day we were with Susie Essman, which was hosting uh, an event, an Emmy event for Curb Your Enthusiasm. And she said the amount of people that come up to her on a daily basis and ask them to call their husbands and call them a fat fuck. Oh my gosh, I don't get that. So my question for you is, what's the weirdest thing that someone's ever asked you to do? Oh, well, I can tell you one of the weirdest things ever like yelled out to me. Okay. I was um, years ago uh, at a U2 concert and I was trying to get to my seat and, you know, I was going down a flight of stairs and there was a banister above me of, of teenage age boys and I'm going down this flight of stairs and from a distance, I hear, Angela! And I turn, because hi, people call my actual sure, name. Sure. That's another thing. I have been at lunch with Rain Wilson and someone yelled Angela and I turned, but then they yelled Dwight. And he goes, oh my God, they yelled your name. So I always turn my head. Of course. Because it's my name. Of course. So anyway, I hear, Angela! And I turn and this group of boys yell, we would take the Da Vinci Code because we burned the Da Vinci Code. <laughs> I was like, thanks, guys. Okay. Season one. Like, That's the fire episode. You it's know? a religion. It's, it's a religion. I mean, people love it. People love the show. And I'm so thankful that they do. Strangest place you've been recognized. Oh, my gosh. Not strangest, but always the most awkward is the bathroom. Sure. Always coming out of the stall. I was literally, the stall door was opening and I think someone had watched me go in and I'm coming out of the stall before I could even leave it. And this gal was like, can we get a picture? And I was like, can I shut can the I door to the toilet and wash my 
pants. But then, yes. Rich, one time at, at, on our honeymoon, we were walking through Rome and some guys were like, da da na da da na Oh, my gosh. And he was like, yeah. And I was like, I guess you've made it when they're singing the sports center theme song at you. Yeah. But it's just so funny. We were like, we went. Mm-hmm. I guess life's a little different now. It is a little different. It, it, it was definitely something for my husband to get used to because he met me later in this sort of the, the run of the office was done. You know, he met me after it. And uh, I always feel bad for him. And I feel bad for Rain Wilson's wife, as well as like John and Jenna deal with this too. But like anytime I post a photo of Josh and I, someone writes, that's not Dwight. Oh, God. Are they right? Dwight's going to be so pissed, you know? And it is like, well, I... That, well, it's not Yeah, real. that wasn't real. But, but you know, I also just take it as like, well, that's fun. I think, it, you know, and my family has a farm. Whenever I'm on the farm and post a photo, people are like, shroot bars. Yeah, exactly. But um, I don't know. I just find it all just like part of the fun of it, you know? You're nonstop delightful. I'm so lucky that I get to have you as a friend and we get to hike and play tennis. She's a bomb.com tennis player. I mean, she's the, the expression is tiny but mighty, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, and, and we do have so much fun walking and hanging and talking, and, and, and I'm very, very lucky to have you in my life. I can't wait for the book. Thank you I so much. I can't wait to show it in person here I'm so when we excited. get it. So pre-order, guys, because and it is important because... That's how they decide how quickly they. That's how you get on the New York Times bestseller list. That's what I learned is from pre-order. So I was like, "Oh man, that would be pretty amazing." Yeah, it would be amazing. The book party will be really fun. But anytime you guys want to come on and talk about anything in the world, I'd love to have you. And I'm so thrilled to be able to promote your podcast and promote you and promote the book because. What's better in life than sharing good things? I know. Likewise. I love you, Sue. Oh, I love you more. Mwah. I even gave you my good side. Um, <laughs> I'm going to leave you with this. What's your last bit of advice for people just looking for looking for a break? Well, I think what my mom said, why not you? Don't let other people tell you you can't do something. Don't let anyone else project that on you. And just believe in yourself. I know it's a very simple thing. We've heard it said so many times, but I think my mom constantly saying, why not you really sunk in for me. And I say it to my daughter all the time. Why not you? It's the best. Isabel's lucky to have you. I hope you guys like this edition of just getting started. So many more of those where this one came from. Angela, give us your promo for your podcast. It's called Office Ladies, and it's available wherever you listen to podcasts. It's amazing. It's a great listen. It's so much fun. I'm going to sit in the room next time and just pick up how to be a better podcaster. Oh, listening stop to the it. Two of you stop guys. it. Come hang out with Jenna Fisher and I. We rewatch an episode of The Office every week. I, I will be there. I hope you will be there, too. I love seeing all of you guys, and I will see you again this time next week. Bye.